BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Wednesday, the first day of September 2021. I'm Brian McCullough. Today is the Apple Watch redesign causing supply issues. A larger roadmap for the health features Apple is looking to add to the watch. Putting your driver's license in your Apple wallet is becoming a reality. LinkedIn abandons stories. Facebook gets into fantasy sports. And Wirecutter goes behind a paywall. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Watch out. See what I did there? Lots of Apple Watch news this morning, and the first bit ain't good. A source is telling Debbie Wu and Mark Gurman that Apple's upcoming watch is suffering production snags as manufacturers adjust to a new design, likely leading to supply constraints or shipment delays. Quoting Bloomberg, The device is expected to have a larger screen alongside a faster processor, Bloomberg has reported. The upgrade has brought manufacturing challenges, according to the person who asked not to be identified because the situation isn't public. Nikkei reported earlier that production of the device has been delayed due to the complexity of the new watch. Manufacturers of the product began small-scale production last week, but didn't get satisfactory output, Nikkei said. The new watches also have screen technology that bring that display closer to the cover glass. Using a different lamination technique, Bloomberg previously reported, that display layer may be causing some of the production woes, the person said, end quote. But... Following up on what German has mentioned recently, the Wall Street Journal is reporting that Apple is indeed planning to add health features, including a blood pressure monitor and thermometer in order to track fertility to the Apple Watch. But as German has intimated, don't expect these before 2022 at least. Quote, The fertility feature could be available as soon as next year, along with potential improvements to its irregular heartbeat monitoring and an upgrade to how it tracks sleep patterns, the people said, and the documents show. Beyond next year, Apple wants its smartwatch to be able to detect sleep apnea, provide medical guidance when it senses low blood oxygen levels, and perhaps one day spot diabetes, according to the documents and some of the people. The plans for the watch underscore Apple's ambitions in health, which Chief Executive Tim Cook has said will be the company's, quote, greatest contribution to mankind. Last year, the device brought in nearly $13 billion in sales, commanding 65% of the global smartwatch market by revenue, research firm Strategy Analytics estimates. One challenge for Apple and other smartwatch makers is that the wrist is a poor place to measure vital signs like blood sugar levels. The watch's potential and its limits are evident in the new hypertension feature, according to people familiar with the feature and the documents. Apple previously set its sights on rolling out the feature next year, according to the people and documents. Today, blood pressure is commonly measured with inflatable cuffs wrapped around the upper arm. The sensors and smartwatches and smartphones can't replicate that. So Apple is studying a proxy that measures the speed of the wave a heartbeat sends through a person's arteries using sensors in the Apple Watch, according to the documents and the people. The version of the feature under discussion at Apple would try to show users how their blood pressure is trending, 
but without providing a baseline measure of systolic and diastolic blood pressure, according to people familiar with the plans. Some employees have raised questions to managers about how useful such a feature would be, the people said, though they cautioned that the feature is still in development and could change, end quote. Apple also announced today that Arizona and Georgia will be the first U.S. states to support adding official state-issued IDs to the Apple Wallet in iOS 15, with six states expected to follow, quoting TechCrunch. What started with boarding passes and venue tickets later became credit cards, subway tickets, and student IDs. Next on Apple's list to digitize are driver's licenses and state IDs, which it plans to support in its iOS 15 update expected out later this year. Apple said today it has so far secured two states, Arizona and Georgia, to bring digital driver's license and state IDs to the wallet. Connecticut, Iowa, Kentucky, Maryland, Oklahoma, and Utah are expected to follow, but a timeline for rolling out wasn't given. Apple said in June that it would begin supporting digital licenses and IDs and that the TSA would be the first agency to begin accepting a digital license from an iPhone at several airports since only a state ID is required for traveling by air domestically within the United States. The TSA will allow you to present your digital wallet by tapping it on an identity reader. Apple says the feature is secure and doesn't require handing over or unlocking your phone. The digital license and ID data is stored on your iPhone, but a driver's license must be verified by the participating state. That has to happen at scale and speed to support millions of drivers and travelers while preventing fake IDs from making it through. Apple still has not said much about how the digital ID technology works or what data the state obtains as part of of the process to enroll a digital license. Apple is working on a new security verification feature that takes selfies to validate the user. It's not to say these systems aren't inherently problematic, but there are privacy questions that Apple will have to address down the line." End quote. Sorry to hit you with yet another Apple story, but this is how the chips fell for us this morning. Apple is apparently barring staff from making a Slack channel around pay equity. Apple says it is because the channel is not work-related, despite the existence of other Slack channels relating to things like pets and jokes. Quoting The Verge, Employment attorney Vincent P. White says that invoking the Slack terms may simply be an excuse to block discussions of workplace pay disparities, since doing so outright would violate labor law. Discussing pay equity is a protected activity under federal, state, and local law, says White. Everyone agrees on that. For them to try and impair employees' ability to discuss pay equity and diversity in the workplace is a clear-cut act of retaliation, end quote. Pay equity has been a hot topic among Apple employees over the past few months. The company has shut down multiple employee surveys aimed at gathering data on how much workers make. One survey, started by Apple engineer Cher Scarlett, has seemingly been allowed to stay up. An early analysis of the results showed a 6% wage gap between the salaries of men and women who participated, end quote. I'm noting this story today because I wanted to mention these tweets from Dare Obasanjo, quote, The thing about Apple banning multiple discussions about pay equity among employees is that it's a smoking gun, because their HR must know the data makes them look bad. Most big techs are savvy about paying people equally at the same level, so this is wild. The typical pay equity issue at major tech companies is promotion velocity, where junior ranks are full of underrepresented folks, while leadership leans towards particular demographics. That Apple is scared of junior folks sharing their salaries is quite telling. 
Unlike Apple, there are other huge tech companies where this is commonplace and incredibly mundane, end quote. So I guess we found the natural law limit for this product. LinkedIn is abandoning its stories format at the end of September and has told advertisers to adjust their ad campaigns accordingly. Quoting The Verge, Part of the reason for the shutdown is that LinkedIn learned users just didn't want disappearing video. In developing stories, we assumed people wouldn't want informal videos attached to their profile and that ephemerality would reduce barriers that people feel about posting, Liz Lee, senior director of product at LinkedIn, said. Turns out you want to create lasting videos that tell your professional story in a more personal way and that showcase both your personality and expertise, end quote. LinkedIn's move follows Twitter's shutdown of fleets, its stories like product in July. Like LinkedIn, Twitter observed that users didn't respond to ephemeral video in the way it had wanted. We hoped fleets would help more people feel comfortable joining the conversation on Twitter, Ilya Brown, Twitter's vice president of product, said on Twitter's blog. But in the time since we introduced fleets to everyone, we haven't seen an increase in the number of new people joining the conversation with fleets like we hoped, end quote. The two shutdowns could signal a broader pullback from ephemeral video products among social media companies. However, it seems unlikely that Snapchat or Instagram will be giving up on their stories products anytime soon, end quote. True that, but at least we have now some conclusive evidence that you can't just slap stories on everything. Facebook says it is launching Facebook Fantasy Games in the U.S. and Canada, available for free on the Facebook app. Quoting TechCrunch, Some games are described as simpler versions of the traditional fantasy sports games already on the market, while others allow users to make predictions associated with popular TV series like Survivor or The Bachelorette. The first game to launch is Pick and Play Sports in partnership with Whistle Sports, where fans get points for correctly predicting the winner of a big game, the points scored by a top player, or other events that unfold during the match. Players can also earn bonus points for building a streak of correct predictions over several days. This game is arriving today. In the months ahead, it will be followed by other games in sports, TV, and pop culture, including Fantasy Survivor, where players choose a set of castaways from the popular CBS TV show to join their fantasy team and Fantasy The Bachelorette, where fans will pick a group of men from the suitors vying for The Bachelorette's heart and get points based on their actions and events that take place during the show. Other upcoming sports-focused games include MLB Home Run Picks, where players pick the team that they think will hit the most home runs, and La Liga Winning Streak, where fans predict the team that will win that day. In addition to top players being featured on leaderboards, games have a social component for those who want to play with friends. Players can create their own fantasy league with friends to compete with one another or against other fans, either publicly or privately. League members can compare scores with each other and will have a place where they can share picks, reactions, and comments. This league area resembles a private group on Facebook as it offers its own compose box for posting only to members and its own dedicated feed. However, the page is designed to support groups with specific buttons to play or view the leaderboard, among others. The addition of fantasy games could help Facebook increase the time users spend on its app at a time when the company is facing significant competition in social, namely from TikTok. According to App Annie, the average monthly time spent per user in TikTok grew faster than other top social apps in 2020, including by 70% in the U.S., surpassing Facebook, end quote. 
Reminds me of when Yahoo and MSN and AOL were all competing to add time suckers to their portals to keep people on page and serving up banner ads. Of course, Yahoo actually turned its fantasy sports thing into quite a business. But the point is, everything old is new again on a long enough timeline. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse. That laptop might belong to a bad actor using Using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You could argue that this is more of a media story than a tech story, but Lord knows that for the last decade or so, any time I needed to buy a gadget that I didn't already know exactly what I wanted, I turned to Wirecutter. A few years ago, you might remember that the New York Times bought Wirecutter, and now the Times has announced that it is adding a paywall to Wirecutter, starting after users read 10 stories a month, charging $5 a month or $40 a year, but keeping the site free for New York Times premium digital subscribers, quoting the Wall Street Journal. Starting Wednesday, readers can purchase a standalone Wirecutter subscription for $5 every four weeks or $40 annually. Those who already pay for the Times premium digital subscriptions or home delivery will continue to get unlimited access to Wirecutter with no change to the subscription's price. At launch, readers will get nine free Wirecutter articles a month before being asked to pay for a subscription on the 10th article. Only a small proportion of Wirecutter's readership currently reads more than 10 articles a month, said Linda Lee, Wirecutter's general manager. A small percentage of users visit the site more than 50 times a month. Ms. Lee said that the site will experiment with the free article threshold. The Times will make some Wirecutter articles free periodically, quote, if they provide strong public service, said a Times spokeswoman. For instance, Wirecutter's coverage of air purifiers will be in front of the paywall when the subscription product launches amid the wildfires in the western U.S., the spokeswoman said. Up until now, Wirecutter has generated revenue primarily through affiliate partnerships with online sellers, including Amazon. When a consumer follows a link on the site to purchase a product, Wirecutter receives a commission on the sale. Those affiliate relationships will continue, providing a way to monetize non-subscribers. The Times' move to generate subscription revenue for Wirecutter is similar to what the publisher has done with its popular cooking and games products. Both are also included in the Times' all-digital access subscription, which costs $25 every four weeks. 
The Times Basic Digital Access subscription, which excludes those products, costs $17 every four weeks, end quote. Quoting the great Rafat Ali on Twitter, Somewhere, founding digital profits at Consumer Reports, are laughing reading this, the original subscription review magazine and then site, end quote. Sources say Google is developing ARM-based chips for laptops and tablets that will run on Chrome OS, set to launch around 2023, quoting Nikkei Asia. Google is developing its own central processors for its notebook and tablet computers, the latest sign that major tech players see in-house chip development as key to their competitiveness. The U.S. internet giant plans to roll out the CPUs for laptops and tablets, which run on the company's Chrome operating system in or around 2023, three sources with knowledge of the matter told Nikkei Asia. Google is also ramping up its efforts to build mobile processors for its Pixel smartphones and other devices after announcing it will use in-house processor chips for the first time in its upcoming Pixel 6 series, they said. Google's growing focus on developing its own chips comes as global rivals pursue a similar strategy to differentiate their offerings. Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft, Tesla, Baidu, and Alibaba are all racing to build their own semiconductors to power their cloud services and electronic products. Separately, the company has high hopes for the Pixel 6 range and has asked suppliers to prepare 50% more production capacity for the handsets compared with the pre-pandemic level in 2019, two people told Nikkei Asia. Google shipped more than 7 million Pixel phones in 2019. It's highest figure ever, but shipped just 3.7 million phones the following year as COVID ravaged the world, according to research company IDC. Google told several suppliers in recent meetings that it sees potential for massive growth opportunities in the global market because it is the only U.S. smartphone maker building handsets using the Android operating system, end quote. And finally today, Microsoft this morning announced an online-only Surface hardware event for September 22nd, where updated Surface duos and laptops are expected, quoting The Verge. Leaked images of Microsoft's upcoming Surface Duo 2 device appeared online in July, and we're expecting to see an official announcement of this Android-powered dual-screen hardware on September 22nd. The leaked images suggest the biggest change will be a triple camera system, complete with telephoto, ultra-wide-angle, and standard lenses. The Surface Duo 2 is also rumored to include Qualcomm's Snapdragon 888 processor, 5G support, and an NFC chip for contactless payments. Alongside the Surface Duo 2, Microsoft is rumored to be launching a successor to the Surface Book 3. Windows Central previously reported that Microsoft might not name it the Surface Book 4, though. Instead, it's likely to be a Surface Laptop Pro or something similar. That's because Microsoft is reportedly redesigning its high-end laptop to switch to a non-detachable 14-inch display. A Windows 11 launch on October 5th wouldn't be complete without an update to the Surface Pro lineup, too. Microsoft launched its refreshed Surface Pro 7 Plus earlier this year, but it was only for businesses. We're hoping to see a more refined Surface Pro design that takes takes advantage of the latest Windows 11 features. Microsoft's teaser image even includes a Surface Pro, end quote. Alrighty then, the tribe has spoken. By a margin of 84% to 16%, at least at the time of this recording, Reed Hastings has won your voting, and Evan Spiegel has been voted off Entrepreneur Island. The way our episode, when we eventually record it, will work is we'll go through each matchup, matchup by matchup, and we'll only discuss the loser each time. So 
The first person we'll talk about will be Evan, evaluating his profile as an entrepreneur, the diamond hands he has for not selling out to Zuckerberg all those years ago, the product innovation of ephemeral messaging and stories and the like. And then we'll discuss Reed Hastings when and if he ever gets knocked out himself. This way, we'll be able to do a roundtable discussion on each of the various entrepreneurs, the relative virtues and career of each person in turn. So, who might Reed face in the quarterfinals? It will be a winner of today's matchup, which you can vote on right now. And that matchup is Jeff Bezos of Amazon versus Jack Ma of Alibaba. Go vote! I hopefully will have remembered to put a link in the show notes to take you there. But also, it should be pinned to the top of the podcast Twitter profile, which is at TechMemePodcast. Check it out. Vote. Leave your reasons for your vote in the comments if you so choose. And please retweet today's vote so we can get a larger sample size, even from people that don't even listen to this podcast. Talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>